I've always, always wanted to be somebody who made a difference in the world. I mean, that, that was something that was important to me, right? Was to pick a career and to live my life both personally and professionally in a way that is of service and makes a difference in the world, right? I, I want that I've been on this earth for however many years I get to be here to count, right? So that's that's a fuel that never goes away, right? That's just part of my DNA. And I think that's a piece of it. the Wonder Podcast. This is CCB, your host. And for our conversation today, we're going to be chatting with someone who has a very deep expertise in an interest and curiosity in health design. And we're inordinately uh, honored to have with us today someone who is not going to toot her own horn, but we may have to toot a little, little bit for her. Um, I'd like to say welcome to Deborah Levine from Center for Health Design. Deborah. Say hi. Hi, CCB. It's so great to be here. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this great podcast. Well, we are. We want to hear so much about uh, your uh, your investment in the Center for Health Design. But before we talk about that, tell us what did you go to school for, and why did you decide to do what you're doing today? I started out in uh, college at Arizona State, uh, wanting to be a lawyer. And um, I don't know why I wanted to be a lawyer other than I loved the show Paper Chase when I was a kid. And I really thought that a law degree would like teach you how to think and, you know, to take disparate to pieces of information and make something new of it. Right. Create an argument. And I just I was fascinated by that. Not necessarily that I wanted to be a lawyer, but I, I was fascinated by the intellectual side of it. And I spent my first three semesters at Arizona State poli-sci pre-law and the roommate that I was given was an architecture major and I always would look at her homework and look at my homework and hers looked so much cooler and when I took all those tests in high school they all said become an architect and I was like yeah I'm not good at math that's not gonna that's not gonna work but you know I I just had all these signs when I was young that this is really what I should be doing and I remember uh, my third semester in, in college my Um, academic advisor said that she was not going to be my academic advisor the next year, that she was moving over to the College of Architecture. And it it was like a lightning bolt CCB. I I was like, what else is it going to take for me to realize that it was time for me to really do what I truly wanted to do? And so I moved over to the interior architecture program at Arizona State. And that's where I got my undergraduate degree from. And, you know, what I realized somewhere along the way was that I got exactly what I wanted out of it, which is a design degree teaches you how to think, right? It teaches you how to take all these disparate pieces of information and put them together in a new way to create something that didn't exist before. And um, that was a blessing, right? I I never looked back. I loved the, the industry. I loved the, the program at Arizona State. I eventually went back while I was still working and got a, a master's degree in organizational leadership. But um, I'm a designer at heart, even though I I never put pen to paper and I don't design places. um, I am deeply a designer. You know, I when I applied to get into the College of Architecture, I remember writing, you know, like it's it's not what I want to be. Design is who I am. And I, I really still believe that, that there are people who are drawn to this industry because something inside of them is just hypersensitive to the environment. And I think I'm one of those people. 
Uh, okay, so that's pretty fantastic. When you think about the um, the stepping stone of a couple of semesters studying political science and the process that and the kind of logic behind that and understanding that design thinking and the more organic perspective of looking at holistically looking at a problem and as you say creating something from it i think that's just a fascinating transition so you graduate from arizona state university with a degree in architecture and and i'm sure your parents said you have to get a job you know i was the youngest of four and so if you ask my siblings, they will tell you I was highly indulged. So they didn't actually. Um, when I was in, at Arizona State, I um, ran for a lot of offices at the university, you know, president of my college, wrote for the paper, eventually leading to um, the ASID National Student Council. And my last year there, I was um, regional vice president. And I traveled all around the country talking to students and engaging them and, you know, just getting people excited about what we do and what we have the opportunity to do in this field. And I wanted to run for president. So when I graduated, I actually went to um, grad school for a year so that I could continue on. And um, eventually I became president of the National Student Council for ASID. And that was extraordinary training for what I ended up doing in my career and for realizing that you could be in our industry in so many different ways. It didn't have to be as an actual interior designer or an architect. You, you could make an impact in, in many different ways. And um, that is how I found my way here, right? Found my way to doing this kind of work versus um, what I really thought I was training for all those years, which was oh. to be a designer. Um, so I didn't right off get a job, but I, I met somebody who introduced me to this work and came out to California for eight weeks and ended up actually staying. It's now been almost 32 and a half years and I'm still in this job and um, it's been fantastic, right? Okay. So That's, I got lucky. You got, oh, well, I, I, you know, there's never just luck. Let's, let's you know, put that over on the corner uh, for a future conversation, but um the idea of the Center for Health Design getting in on the ground floor, they, they brought you out to look at it or to be involved in it. And in what format did you find the Center of Health Design? So the, the Center for Health Design didn't exist when I came out here in 1989. Okay. Um, it was a the National Symposium on Healthcare Interior Design. We were just a, a conference that had just started that was geared at bringing together architects, designers, healthcare executives, landscape architects, healthcare facility executives, all in one place to share knowledge, right? To say, if there's something that's happening in Boston, that's really cool. How do you make sure that somebody in California knows about it? And that was what the conference was about was, you know, bringing people together, creating a community and spreading knowledge. Um, the center started in 1993 as a nonprofit. We were a for-profit in the early days. We became a nonprofit in 1993 when we realized that we wanted to do research, right? We wanted to not just bring people together and create community. That was fantastic. But we wanted to help propel the industry forward. And to do research and to be able to get grants, you needed to become a nonprofit. And so um, we went through that long and arduous task of becoming a nonprofit and um that's where the organization that exists today really came from. Um, so, uh, so that's very interesting to think about being truly uh, at part of the formation of it. And uh, who were the other players that you know that in, that infused the energy 
to to craft the Center for Healthcare Health Design. Sorry, oh, we had an amazing board of directors. You know, when you think about the early days of this industry, there were there were some people who just really stood out, right? They they were doing really interesting work like Robin Orr at Plain Tree or Derek Parker at Anchin and Allen. And um, the center brought those people together and formed a board of directors who really um, helped propel this organization forward. Right. It 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 was a conference for a lot of years and it was it was starting to do some research in like. 9091 and it was probably you know quite a bit later than that that we really formed this kind of three-legged pedestal of research education and advocacy right really realizing that that all three of them needed to happen for change to happen in the industry that you needed to first understand something you didn't know and learn about it through research and then you needed to like educate, right? You needed to get it out there. You needed to make, make make knowledge actionable, right? Get it out there into the industry. But then you needed to change the codes and standards that were like minimum expectations in order to start raising the bar, right? And then go right back to research again. And so um, I, I think I took over as CEO in 2000. And I mean, to be honest, it was me in a spare bedroom in my house at that, that point. And- okay. Um, you know, we we made an amazing partnership with Turner Construction, who really helped uh, take us around the country. Myself and Roz Kama, who was the board chair at the time, would go around the country and, you know, talk about the center's work and evidence-based design. And that helped us really grow the kind of a key a key program for us, which was the Pebble project. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people would hear about Pebble and the research that was happening. And they were, you know, they're it was a really different time back then. There wasn't as much available. There wasn't as much out there that you could go to. And people were just starting to talk about evidence-based design. You know, it's not like research hadn't been being used before, but the center put structure around it, created community about it and helped to kind of leverage it and propel it forward in a significant way. And so people would hear that message and wanted to be a part of it. And that's how the Pebble Project really gained recognition. We had close to 80 projects all around the world who wanted to do research. They were building and designing and they wanted to understand how their project could both contribute to the body of knowledge, but benefit from everybody before them. And, you know, Pebble is what really helped propel us to that next step of being able to staff up and bring on people and build the center as it is today, right? Mm-hmm. That honestly, the Center for Health Design is is truly a community of awesome and amazing people. I mean, I, I love the staff. Anybody at the center could choose to work anywhere they wanted and probably make more money somewhere else, but they choose to work at the center because they, they want to make a difference. They want to have impact. And if those are your colleagues, you know, that, that is a blessing you, you can't even design, right? You, you can only be grateful to have that every single day. Well, the enthusiasm, uh, the enthusiasm with which you communicate you know, your passion for this, um, for these efforts and for this, um, for this, uh, institution, if you will. I mean, I'm going to give it that kind of title because it has grown in such, um, in such prominence as, as a purveyor of information and, and a, a source of, and people will, you know, talk about it on a, uh, on a, on a regular basis, even beyond, you know, the healthcare design world, which I think is pretty fascinating. So I want to say, um, 
for 30 years of involvement, there have been a number of kind of uh, monumental um, achievements. And you talk about the Pebble Project. It, in moving the information forward and sharing it in a more broad fashion, what other steps have you taken? Well, you know, like I said, there was a point where early on we thought it was about creating research. Let's create, create, create. And, you know, we had an aha moment that was, that wasn't probably the best way and the best role that the center could have, that creating research is really important. And um, we continue to be involved in that, but making knowledge, making research actionable Mm-hmm. That was where the center could have significant impact. We're amazing at creating tools and resources that help people do what they do better, that help give them knowledge, that help them understand what they already know and how to build upon what others know. That is really where the center staff shines. And that's where we spent a lot of time in the last decade is creating things like the interactive design diagrams and the knowledge repository and the um, you know, various different tools that we have on our website that most of which are free. Those, those are the things that we're great at. We spent many, many years creating a safety risk assessment tool. And, you know, when I say we, that is a big community of we, right? Our Mm -hmm. researchers kind of created the framework and led the charge, but we had dozens and dozens of industry experts from all throughout our industry who were part of figuring that out and creating it, right? And again, that's that's one of the things I'm the, the most proud of is this community that we continue to create that is passionate about making a significant difference out there in, in health outcomes and in people's oh. lives and comes together to do that, right? Yeah. So that, that is where we have focused a lot of our energy in the last couple of years is building those tools and resources, building the database of of citations that you can easily search and creating key point summaries so that you can understand what the research is saying and see if you want to dive in deeper and actually go get the research summaries, right? We we're trying to just make it so that an evidence-based design process is both required, but easy to do, right? Creating all those tools and resources to tell you both how to do it, but then giving you everything you need to be successful at doing it. So I was also thinking about the um, the healthcare design excellent conference as mm-hmm. um, as a, a, you know maybe the the um, the blossom of your early symposium, but has turned into you know a place to be for people involved in healthcare design. It it really is. I mean, we get thousands of people from all over the world who come to healthcare design every year. You know, the last couple of years have been tough for any in-person gathering, Mm -hmm. right? But one of the things that the center did was we pivoted and realized that, you know, education was a big part of what we did. And so we started to become very virtual. And though we started it because of COVID, we came to realize that there's great value in it. We we now hit an international audience who might not be able to come to our workshops or the healthcare design conference, but you know, can log in in the middle of the night from other parts of the world and spend an entire day with us, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that combination of both in-person and virtual learning is, has been an incredible gift that has come from COVID. But as you said, the the healthcare design conference is, it's our industry's key gathering place, right? It is where all the big thinkers come. It is 
where all the manufacturers show their their latest and greatest. Everybody gears towards that date in October to to show their newest stuff. You know, we we have all of our awards to celebrate ourselves as a community and to you know help build continue to build that that visibility. Um, it all happens at at healthcare design every year. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so everyone in the audience, mark your calendar. If you didn't know it, it's in October, and there's all sorts of information available. And and just as a point of reference, on the um, the website for this podcast with Deborah, there will be all sorts of references and links that you can access. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Um, there's another question that is so topical and uh, for so many reasons, and it's about... Um, sustainability and environmental uh, responsibility. And I wanted you to spend a little bit of time, if you would, on the active involvement that you've got in the Environmental Standards Council. Sure. The Environmental Standards Council was an early, early program that we started, I mean, like close to 30 years ago, 27 years ago, um, to try to impact change in the guidelines, you know, early with, with the Joint Commission and the Facilities Guidelines Institute and you know, all the people who were creating the guidelines that were minimum standards, right? And so it was our way to try to have some engagement in saying, if we're doing all this research, if we're learning all this that we're learning, how can we help be a part of crafting those guidelines so that they're best able to take advantage of what we know, right? And help to continue to raise the minimum standards of of what's expected you know the the whole environment of care came out of the environmental standards council you know mm-hmm. in the early days all we were successful was getting a, a heading right a chapter that said the environment of care we know it's important and now mm-hmm. let's figure out like how to build that out and so we did over the many many cycles after that the ESC kept you know kind of pushing that forward and creating the guidelines that um, eventually got adopted in the Facilities Guidelines Institute, right? So um, it's something we're really proud of because those minimum standards, you know, if, if that's all somebody's going to go for, which, you know, I think most people don't, but if that's mm-hmm. all somebody's going to go for, continuing to raise those up so that they're based on um, common knowledge and research that we know impacts change, then raising those standards makes a huge difference, right? It, it right. For those who might only use minimum, it, it improves the outcomes and the quality of the environments that are being designed. Uh, we, we had a great conversation with uh, James Pease of uh, UCSF Health um, Construction and his, his perspective on what's the point of his role, what's the point of anyone in facilities and healthcare design is to impact the health of the community. It's about it's about the patient. Um, and so the, uh, the commitment to sharing that information is, is beyond admirable, but it also is interesting to think how, how does a center for health design at, if it does at all, um, track those metrics, what are the changes or do we count on the healthcare systems to track that? Yeah, that would be an amazing project that we would love to be involved in. And it would it would take a significant grant from from a significant foundation who wants to invest in that. Um, It's part of what we try to nibble away at with the Pebble project, Uh, but it's not so easy. And, you know, there's two folds. One, it's it's not always something people are comfortable with sharing data. Right. So that's sometimes difficult to get the data Two, 
people start with all the best intentions to do the research once they've opened the the healthcare facility. But, you know, the reality is, is these are buildings that run seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and are inundated with giving care, right? That is, that is why they're there. And even though the goal might be to do research, the reality doesn't always end up there, right? And if that's the one thing I could change, that's where it would be. It would be to have this core of people who could go into the facilities and kind of do the research afterwards to see Mm-hmm. What did change? Did the hypotheses pan out the way they were expected? Because we we were able to gather, you know, it is happening. But if we could light a fire under how much is being gathered, how quickly that's being gathered, making comparisons between various different facilities, that would be amazing, right? Mm-hmm. That That would be like adding fuel to this movement that has been growing over the years, but, you know, it grows at the rate that it can. Gosh, yes. I, I I just think of the the magnitude of uh, the the information that you touch, uh, or that anyone in health health design touches. Um, it is uh, it does take a, a, a specific focus to be able to get to some of those um, those metrics that would be valuable for not only the system itself, but for the, the entire industry. Um, so you are truly, um, uh, passion is the word that I just keep hearing in my mind, listening to you, but how, how do you, how do you keep up the energy aside from your amazing colleagues and that, that, um, that, that repository of, of enthusiasm, how do you keep up your, uh, your building of vision? I mean, p- part of what fuels me is I've always, always wanted to be somebody who made a difference in the world. I mean, that, that was something that was important to me, right? Was to pick a career and to live my life both personally and professionally in a way that is of service and makes a difference in the world, right? I, I want that I've been on this earth for however many years I get to be here to count, right? So that's, mm-hmm that's a fuel that never goes away, right? That's just part of my DNA. And I think that's a piece of it. Um, the, the, as you said, the people, you know, coming to work every day and getting to work with a group of people that you admire and are grateful for is, is a piece of it as well. Um, but I think the biggest issue is there's still so much to do, right? I mean, it's over three decades that I've been doing this and there's still so much left to do that, you know, COVID was a wake up call, watching what was happening in hospitals, seeing the conditions that these people were working in and realizing that for as much change as we've made, there's still so much more that has to happen in order for everyone to really benefit from receiving care or working in environments that support the highest level of outcomes. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, I don't get bored, you know, that, that I've had the same job for over 32 years. Isn't, isn't really true because it changes every year, right? Our industry changes, the center changes and grows the direction we, we go in changes and grows. And so I, I feel like every year I have a different job. I just, I get to, you know, benefit from anything I've learned the year before. And, and yeah. I already know the people, 
you know, and, and we continue to, to grow as an organization, right? We, a couple of years ago, created an advisory board so that we could bring really smart people from different industries, not necessarily healthcare design together to see what, what can we learn from them, right? What have they done in other industries that we should know about and learn from and mimic in order to continue to create change. Uh So, you know, it's always different here. And that's a, that's how you stay engaged, right? That for me, the, the worst job would be doing the same thing over and over and over again. You would lose me very quickly because I would get bored very quickly, but it, it wouldn't have toned up on your, you know, your uh, high school um, test to yeah. what what would be next. No repetitive tests. No, re- yeah, I'm not a repetitive person. I, <laughs> okay. I, I would not do that. But, you know, li- living in an industry that is thriving and changing and growing. And I mean, in the end, what it comes down to is what you said earlier. All this we do is to impact people, millions and millions and millions of people that we will never get to meet that are oftentimes in some of the most challenging and difficult times in their lives. And we help to create the environments that maybe make that a little bit better, maybe, you know, support them in in their times when, you know, so much is bleak for them. And also for people celebrating, you know, having babies, you know, the the positive things that happen in healthcare, you know, the environment is the part that's always there. You can't get away from it. And it's helping or it's harming one or the other is happening all the time, whether you know it or not, you're just not aware of it. You know, I always, I fly a lot and I, you know, I love when you sit down and somebody's making small talk and they're like, so what do you do for a living? And I share with them, you know, who we are and what we do. And it's not an easy thing to share, right? It's not like you could say, I'm an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I always love watching that light bulb go off because everybody's had an experience in healthcare, right? right. Everybody. And when they realize that, that the environment did have an impact on them one way or the other, you, you literally see this like moment of understanding go off and it's, it, it, it never gets old for me. Right. When mm-hmm. you help people to understand that even in their homes, right. The environments we create make a difference. Well, uh, we couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, the one workplace commitment is to, uh, to make places better for people. Uh, so people can be better people. And you think about, how how much place impacts any experience um except and or um i wanted to ask that question about digital health and what is what are you looking at or what are you seeing or what are you thinking um when you you know hear that term well that that is part of why we created our advisory board was to bring people like from Microsoft on to be a part of our thinking so that we could understand how to best have an impact in what the next generation of healthcare might look like you know um our core values of research education advocacy they, they're not changing mm-hmm. but you know i think of things like you know dei and digital health as like a fabric that lays on top of that and, you know, understanding the impact that, that these things have on traditional healthcare settings and what the future of healthcare is going to look like, how it's going to be delivered, and how we're going to improve health outcomes for people day to day, not just when, you know, they come in contact with healthcare environments. It's, it's a part of the thinking. Do we have answers? No. You know, we don't, we don't know what the, the role the center will play in that is yet. We don't know what that's going to look like yet, but we know that it's a conversation that 
is needs to be had and that oh. it is going to have an impact on on the future of our our industry and on healthcare delivery and yeah the, the whole healthcare experience um i'm i'm curious what some of what we're seeing here in the west coast um is the the migration if you will to the the um the retail healthcare setting um a lot of the big huge hospitals they are there for the um for the the um Oh gosh, what's the word I want? You know, the, the most extreme uh, interventions that are required, but that intersectionality within community of how is healthcare becoming more embedded in community? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a visual person. I, I, I create pictures in my mind to help me understand things. And I used to think of of our industry and the work we do as like, you know, hub and spoke. You had the hospital, and then you had all the spokes coming out to all the different kinds of, you know, secondary types of environments. But, you know, in the last couple of years, that picture in my head has changed to a spider web because Mm -hmm. I think that those interconnections are so much more complicated than the hub and spoke. And um, I I see that we're, we're continuing, as you said, to have, you know, large hospitals and not as large hospitals being built that are for the highest level of need. Um, But we are creating communities where we realize that healthcare has to happen where people are whether that's in the transit centers and their office buildings and the grocery stores and CVS, you know, we're seeing healthcare pop up in so many places and in so many different formats. And, you know, in time, we'll see which ones survive and which new ones come up. But to me, it really is this amazing spider web of health that's kind of overlaying our communities to bring knowledge and access to healthcare to, to where people are and, in the way that they need it and in a way that they'll understand it. Mm-hmm. Gosh, Deborah, uh, this conversation could go on forever. And I can only imagine there are so many people that would love to just sit down and have a conversation with you because the the perspective that you bring and the, the scope, the scale of what you're thinking about is in, just delightful, absolutely delightful. However, we only have a abbreviated period of time. So if is there anything that we haven't talked about that you might want to share or reinforce from a message standpoint to the folks that are listening? Well, one, I want to say if you've listened this long, thank you, because um, I, I am passionate about what we do. I do love it. And, you know, I don't always know that that is uh, translated. So I am grateful that 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 people are still here listening. If you are a foundation and you would like to give us millions of dollars to do the kind of research that we talked about, definitely give me a call. Um, but what I would say is, is use the center as a resource. Call us if you need things. Go to our website. The amount of information that's available on our website is just incredible. We have toolboxes around different topics. We have a variety of tools that are free. You know, engage with us in any way you can. Become a member. You know, we are not a membership organization, but you are welcome to to join our affiliate program and be a member and support the work that we do. Um, But, you know, engage, be a part of our community and reach out if we can ever be of help and you see that there's a way that you might want to, whether it's do research together or engage in, in a conversation, I, I welcome the opportunity. I, I could talk about the center and our work forever and ever. Cause I, I honestly, I truly do love it. So um, reach out and be a part of our world because um, our industry makes a difference. It really does. And we should all be really proud of the work that we do and any way we can support those of you listening, those of you involved in this work, 
that's what we're here for. And, you know, that's the mission side of the organization that that speaks to all of us. So I just I welcome the opportunity for future conversations. And I I thank you, CCB, for your time today and for asking me to be a part of this. It's been it's been a great experience. Well, we completely appreciate it. As I mentioned earlier uh, on the Wonder uh, podcast page for Deborah's podcast, there will be a number of different links so that you can get easy access to the Center for Health Design. You can learn more about Deborah and her colleagues and all of their um, their amazing work in research, education, and advocacy. And the podcast is heard on all the streaming services. And one final thing that I'm going to point out, Deborah, and I think you should share this. Um, one Workplace, our enterprise organization, offers a Wonder Grant, Wonder Grant cycle each year. And Wonder Grants are up to $20,000 for research to architects and designers in our West Coast marketplaces where we live and work and, um, and thrive. And so that's Northern California, that's Washington State. And if folks are interested, um, they should check out the Wonder Grant page because there is actual funding there. Now, it's not the millions of dollars that you need, Deborah, but it is. Uh, it does support uh, time and effort towards research in, um, in design efforts to have an impact on people and workplaces and environments where we heal and learn. So thank you very much, Deborah Levine, Center for Health Design, and the Wonder Podcast signs off. You will. Thank you.